Hello, listeners. I'm Patrick Beeman. I am a physician, executive producer of this podcast. I'm guest hosting this show, interviewing Rao Reynolds, the frontman for the band Enter Shikari. I hope you enjoy our conversation here on COVID-19's effects on the music industry and our little foray into discussing mindfulness meditation. Check out Enter Shikari's new album, Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible, as well as Rao's podcast, Here Now, Together. And we must let the floodgates open. Here tonight, a clock a thousand heads. Here to unite through common dreads. Doctor, face the anesthetist. Fill me out a prescription for this existential dread. I woke up into a nightmare and I'm hoping that you'll take me back to bed. Rao, most of our audience is American. So just at the start, I want to kind of clear something up. So many Americans might be tempted to say Rough Ton Reynolds or Rue Reynolds when uh, written in the shortened form. What, what's up with that? I mean, I'm very used to it now. It's at the stage where I actually don't even correct people i'll accept any form of it's, it's just a name i don't care at this point but um yeah it, it's Rao and it's it's short for Rowton, which is a, a little village actually where my granddad was born in the uh, east of england cool can you tell us a little bit about enter shikari when did you start the band when did your mates come together what led you to become a rock star um, well, we've been together since 2003 in the current form, um, but before that, uh, we're in various bands since we're about 11 years old. So, you know, we're brothers at this point. We're all from just outside London. So we, we have a, the benefit of a very diverse musical upbringing from my parents, from different friendship groups, uh, from the various scenes that kind of uh, in London and, and various other cities in the UK, and um, it, it made it made us sort of naturally be sort of predisposed to, to make music that was quite varied. I think one of the things we really pride ourselves in it is our musical agility. And been a, a mad time, and, and I'm often just filled with gratitude that I'm still able to do this because I think it's you know, it's something that we see time and time again, music and live music especially is, is this unifier. It brings people together. Yes, music brings us together. And in one sense, that's sort of problematic nowadays. The concept of being together now is a, is a lot different. How have you, in recently releasing a, a new record, dealt with the fact that you can't bring people physically together through you know, live performance? Um, it's been quite, quite painful, really. It's, uh, it's just been incredibly odd. We had a whole month of touring scheduled around the release of our album. Um, the whole of April and most of May was supposed to be basically going around the, the world promoting the album. Um, and that obviously all, all had to be cancelled. So, I mean, one thing that was, was amazing from it is because of all the promotion that got cancelled, our fan base was really sort of energized to therefore kind of do the job of promoting the album. So, so the, just the old school, you know, route of word of mouth became the primary sort of focus around promoting the album. So that was incredible. But yeah, it's been very strange. I mean, not only have I not been able to sort of thank people face to face for, for picking the album up, for listening to it, for their, you know, continued passion and support, um, I haven't even been able to see the rest of the band. And this is the longest time 
that I've gone without seeing them and seeing our crew and management and everything. So it's just, it's very strange. You know, it's the, the longest time we've been off the road since 2003. So my life has taken this sudden, you know, as, as everyone's lives have has taken a sort of sudden turn, for just a, a peculiar peculiarity, I think. What's the situation like uh, where you are locally? Yeah, yeah, no, we've been, we've been staying at home. We're sort of just creeping out of, of lockdown now which you know many many people are still thinking is is too early um and the, the, there's the fears of the the second wave and we're seeing beijing was just just this morning <laughs> has started to uh you know sound the alarm um my sort of personal experience hasn't been too bad really i mean you know I, i'm very thankful that my family and you know close loved ones have their health um i'm almost certain that i've had it myself um and I was asymptomatic, so so I can't complain there really. Um, yeah, so, so it's it, it feels sort of something that was very real because a lot of my friends did did have it. Um, you know, it wasn't just something I was watching on the news; it became uh, very very tangible in, in in my real life. But I seem to have been um, very lucky, really. I suppose at, at the moment, a lot of us have been lucky, and unfortunately, a, a lot haven't been. Mm. The, you know, you mentioned second wave and you probably also, like many of us are saying that somewhat tongue in cheek because the, the first wave isn't really over. Mm. It's, I don't know, as, as a species, as a global community, um, our patience just tends to wear thin and now we want to get back to our lives. And I, and I guess there's probably a certain balance to that if the world is going to change like it has with coronavirus, then we can't necessarily give up everything that we're used to about our way of life, uh, notably, you know, our, our physical connection with people. But that needs to be balanced, of course, by uh, the fact that we do have to care for our neighbor. And if we are walking around, um, especially a lot of us, I'd like to say younger people, you know, spreading this virus to those who are more infirm or feeble, then we're kind of, I guess, putting ourselves first and really making the world just a little bit worse through that action. Before getting into some more specific questions, I wanted to give you an opportunity to just tell people about uh, Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible, your new album, which came out in April. What, what was the writing process uh, for that like? Um, well, it was... It was, I think I started writing things for it in, in kind of 20, early 2016, um, which was sort of the first year where we found this peculiar notion of people blaming the worst attributes of the last 12 months on the year itself. So people would go like, uh, do, do you allow expletives on this? Sure. Of oh, course. <laughs> well, people will do the, oh, 2016 basically like because if you had the uh, the death of bowie right. we had brexit we had trump we had you know all these very shocking things that we just didn't think were possible were happening um and then each year it seemed to increase you know then we had 27 um and it was it was a lot to deal with so yeah i ended up writing an album that there was it, it, it kind of tackles those two topics of of truth and of possibility, um, because I think we all now grapple so hard to find truth. Like we're, it's so difficult to, to find things that are unbiased. Um, you know, it, on a personal level, in our conversations with people, with uh, organisations, with governments, with the media, it's so so difficult to ascertain what's true. Um, and then with possibility, yeah. The, I mean, the last five years, we've just you know, the pandemic is the, the most recent addition to the list of things that we just didn't think would happen. I mean, obviously, if we were listening to the virologists and epidemiologists, we would perfectly well have known that this would have would happen. Um, and I think, you know, to, to a big extent, we we're lucky in, as crude and, and horrible as that sounds. We're lucky that this isn't, you know, an avian flu with a 60 percent death rate or something like this is a sort of dress rehearsal, if you like, for what's actually possible. Um, so yeah, so the album ended up becoming, I mean, I should say that it was written before COVID-19, um, but it, it, it kind of concentrated on the, the, the things that preceded it. 
um, and, and that we never thought were possible. So it's, yeah, it was just a real look into possibility as a concept. Yeah. And I, I will say, you're a poet. Your writing comes out of a place of, of deep reflection and, and passion, it seems. Um, yeah. and, and art has that ability to kind of make something general, particular, to make something abstract, concrete. And <laughs> listening to that album, as I did right right about when it dropped a couple minutes after the it it struck me as wow a lot of this is is you know relevant to the whole quarantine and covid situation and no doubt that's probably the universality of art in general but um <laughs> you've got a song in there called modern living where uh, Uh, I, as far as music that's recently been released, that seems like a pretty good uh, statement of our situation here with uh, COVID-19. <laughs> does feel like everything we love about our, our daily life has become uh, very clearly ephemeral. At least we feel that now. And, and literally, there is something in the air. <laughs> <Were Yeah. you? laughs> so you said you wrote this before COVID-19. Um, just to be clear, you don't have a, a crystal ball. No, no absolutely. Um, I, I think, you know, that the, the effects of this kind of neoliberal mindset that the world has been, has had at the forefront for quite a few years now, decades even, that ill preparedness that comes from neo neoliberalism, you know, only concentrating on what has short term profit right now. Um, you know, the healthcare wasn't looking to possibilities, wasn't it was focusing on the uh, well, private healthcare, I'm sure, was focusing on these sort of blockbusters, you know, the the, the high, uh, the highly profitable uh, aspects of healthcare. And I think, yeah, that just left us ready to to take this coronavirus uh and be flawed by it um which i think you know especially america and the uk are, the, are two of the worst kind of coping countries um and it, <laughs> i literally just wrote a tweet just becoming just before coming on here because we had trump and boris johnson both sort of congratulating themselves and congratulating the countries on how well they've performed and how well we've done as a, what universe are you living in is utterly insane um so yeah it's uh, I, I i couldn't you know by any means um say that i that i predicted this but i think trying to concentrate on a sort of systems theory look at things you know looking at the perspective looking at the the possibilities again which is the main thing that the album's about i think it's then clear that you you can see we're we're kind of on this route at the moment in so many ways towards like some kind of apocalypse. There's just so many aspects, so many crises that we're living through at the moment that it's, it's incredibly anxiety inducing. <laughs> Absolutely. There's this sense of um, existential dread. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned that kind of apocalypticism that comes out in the album too. Um, you've got a track on there called Apocaholics Anonymous. What, what does that mean? Well, it's a, the apocalypse is a, no one can say it, can they? Not even me. Um, is a, a portmanteau of the words um, apocalypse and alcoholics. So I think there's this there's this reaction that even I've been like kind of having often, which is you react to everything thinking that oh my god, that's it. This is it. This is what's going to cause our final demise. Um, and, and as I said, there's many aspects of our life at the moment that seem to be at least heading in that direction. Um, and so you can fall into this trap of just living in this mist of, well, nihilism or just depression, you know, or just in, in, intense existential anxiety. Um, and yeah, that, that's, I think that's one of the, 
the sort of things that we've always tried to do with the music we're, we're addressing you know the most the the most colossal of sobering subjects here somber scary subjects um, but at the same time it's just trying to add those little sprinkles of humanity to it so you know apocalyptic anonymous is obviously just a uh humor is a defense mechanism isn't it is it says that i'm still alive yeah yeah so it's uh we tried to do that with our music as well well uh you know kierkegaard said that uh, anxiety is the dizziness of existence i've always appreciated that insight from the philosophers in and that particular danish one one of my uh, children's name is soren uh after kierkegaard oh wow totally unrelated but Somewhat related. All right. So when you have influence, you can use it for good or you can use it for ill. You have a decent amount of influence compared to, say, me or other people um, who don't have a large following on even Twitter uh, or something of that nature. Uh, what role do artists play in, in encouraging social change, uh, in encouraging progress? It seems like a lot of people with influence don't take that responsibility seriously. Do, do you? Yeah, I, th- I think, first of all, it scared me, you know, going back sort of a decade, just when we started, you know, bec- becoming a, a, a real band, so to speak, in inverted, inverted commas, um, you know, being thrust onto a pedestal when I always refer to our music as, or our band as like a hobby that got out of hand. Because we never had these, you know, grandiose wishes for to become sort of famous or anything like that. Um, and I think that's the first sort of lucky thing, really, or the or the thing to watch if you're doing something for fame, um, uh, you know, for recognition. Then you'll there's a very slippery slope. You can easily start, you know, exaggerating things or twisting things because you know it will get you the the likes, you know, the retweets or whatever else. Um, so that's that's sort of a, an important thing, I think, to to be able to 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 concentrate on the connection through art as as your main driver, as opposed to the the you know the sometimes quite sickening uh, rewards of of the entertainment industry, um, as well as the you know the horrific things when when you you know you become sort of publicly shamed for something and everyone piles in and then it can be um, pretty horrendous. Um, but I think like, yeah, I think music can be, um, it can be socially pioneering, which is one of its best aspects. So, you know, so musically you've got Rage Against the Machine, for an example, um, who's kind of brought together metal and punk with hip hop. Um, and so that by doing that, they were breaking down genre boundaries, which was breaking down social boundaries. Um, and you can also do it, you can also be pioneering in identity as well. So, um. David Bowie would be an example of that. His use of androgynous aesthetic. Um, again, it, it kind of breaks down social boundaries. And then I think outside of being outside of the sort of pioneering, you know, the front line of, of, of musical pioneership or whatever that word would be. Um, we have music that then just normalizes those changes. So then you get scenes come erupt, sort of erupt and, and blossom out of those, you know, front front runners or forerunners um and it's with those scenes that you see uh ch- those changes start start to cement in the social fabric i, th- I think that's two ways that music directly yeah encourages change encourages social progress and have you used your platform you and your bandmates to um encourage you know healthy actions responsible actions related to COVID-19 yeah I think it's difficult because there's a there's an immediacy people want and sort of expect you to react and comment on things as a person in the you know with a public sort of face of public following um and so I always try and actually just pause and, and take in you know a few more sort of positions and taking a, as much perspective as I can before, so, you know, disseminating some, you know, grand point of view or something. Um, but yeah, I think with, with, with coronavirus, we've, we've just tried to keep the pressure on our government, keep highlighting the points where we're, we're clearly failing in terms of how we're reacting as a society. 
and just yeah as you say just sort of try and use that that platform to often it, it, it's it's not even us it's just using our platform to highlight other voices that don't have a platform size that we do um which is one of the best the best things about having a platform is you see someone who makes a excellent point or something that isn't being considered enough and you can just immediately raise it up which is yeah i feel very grateful that we have that um power really i i imagine it takes some uh takes some humility to recognize that and and to be willing to throw your weight you know behind something uh that may be divisive or embarrassing i uh, i think i recall the the album before the spark or the album before the the current one called the spark i believe i read some interviews where you had talked about how the writing of that came out of your own personal experience dealing with um an anxiety disorder is that correct yeah yeah absolutely so 2015 was sort of my you know before all of this that I cover on the last album happened. To, we had 2015, which for me was was my kind of, you know, everyone sort of has one of those years in their life where just everything goes wrong at the same time. And and, and that was my 2015. I had the, the the death of a few close loved ones, including my 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 kind of closest grandparent, if you like. Um, I had a a very long term relationship uh, break up, um, and yeah, all sorts of other underlying things. I had a my first. I suppose my first proper panic attack that I acknowledged and found out that was a panic attack. And I, after that, I, I had three months of, of insomnia. My first week after that panic attack, I didn't sleep for a week. I thought I was like, it's like, when do you die if you don't sleep? You know, It was a, an incredibly strange and frightening time for me. I, I think I got to the, it was the sixth or seventh night when I upped my dose of, um, oh, I can't remember which drug it was now. Um, but yeah, to, and I finally got about two hours or something. <laughs> I can remember at that time just waking up and being and the feeling of relief and enjoyment because I thought I'd never sleep again. It was, you know, the health anxiety started to to to, to play it and everything. Um, but yeah, so so that whole experience went into the writing of the spark, which was all about it was an exploration of human vulnerability. Um, so if, yeah, if the last album was all about human possibility, um, the spark was all about vulnerability and, and the importance of discussing our innate vulnerability and the, um, the, the kind of scary and destructive aspect of not, uh, approaching our innate vulnerability. So when we try and hide it, when we use pride, you know, throughout history, we've, especially in, in the UK, we have this kind of stiff upper lip you know you shouldn't show your emotions especially as a male you're sort of only allowed to show anger because that's a manly emotion and you know anything else just shows weakness um so that creates a very dangerous society and i think you know a lot of psychologists have, have looked at trump and they've looked at his brittle pride and, and the way he lashes out at everything and his in his narcissism and i think he, he is a, a perfect example of a society that that doesn't um acknowledge its innate <laughs> frailty its innate vulnerability as as we do as a species does that experience the uh, experience facing the vulnerability head-on has that prepared you in some way to deal with quarantine and everything related to COVID 19 all the anxiety that it's imposed upon us all yeah hugely so i i think just the the steep learning curve of, of that year you know it was the first time that i truly understood or started to understand my own mind, you know, instead of just thinking like, oh God, I've got all these weird idiosyncrasies and I'm, I'm so disheveled up here. I started to be able to say, oh, okay, well that's generalized anxiety disorder. Oh, okay, well you have some sort of obsessive compulsive, uh, you know, things going on as well. Um, and being able to target and put a name to things. And then, so then it's, that gives you power because then you can research it and you can, you know, work out what you need to do. And, you know, so for me, uh, CBT was 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 such a help, and that's when I started uh, mindfulness meditation as well, which is still to this day something that's so important in my life, um, and something that I've been trying to well, information that I've been trying to uh, disseminate at the moment because I think it's it's so vital for our, our time living in quarantine to be able to have a better um, grip on our mental processes, a, a better ability. Um, was the um, what was his name? The the eminent 
psychologist uh, from the 18th century, William James, is it? He said, um, our, our best way to um, deal with anxiety or to deal with stress is, to cho- is our ability to choose one thought over another. And that's basically what mindfulness is, you know, recognizing our thoughts for what they are and, and trying to distance thoughts from the thinker um, and giving ourselves more control um, and more sort of mental dexterity. And that's a good transition because part of the reason I wanted to talk to you in particular on, on this podcast is you are doing things to encourage mental health. And I often tell medical students, I probably should have done psychiatry. Mm. <laughs> I'm an obstetrician. But truly, the, the isolation, the lack of authentic human connection, the worry, the dread, uh, it's going to lead to a, the second pandemic that I've heard people say mm. uh, within mental health. And, and you, yourself, having you know, gone through this facing of vulnerability, really learning about yourself in terms of anxiety and what can help it, uh, release your own podcast uh, that's about mindfulness meditation, right? It's called Here, Now, Together. Yeah. So you're actually doing something. You're really trying to help people deal with some of the negative feelings and experiences that that we face as uh, human beings in common. And you're doing it through podcasting, which is a perfect medium. Um, I'm a big supporter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's been really fun. Like I, I started off by doing it um, on Insta Live, so just like live streams of. I, I hadn't known. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes. Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. Anyone else to be doing it, basically. I think there's obviously so many apps nowadays, which is brilliant because we can practice mindfulness wherever, whenever. Um, And... I think one thing that perhaps had been slightly lost was the communal aspect of meditation and the importance that's there. I mean, I think, you know, if you, if you go back through the the kind of Theravada Buddhist traditions and people like Thich Nhat Hanh, um, and John Kabat-Zinn, all these people, they actually do um, talk about the importance of the communal aspect as well. Um, so yeah, being able to do those live streams and basically do guided meditations with people was was something that I just thought I should perhaps try out and then it turned it turned out to be something that a lot of people really appreciated so then I thought okay well this should become more of a regular thing in a, in a podcast um because I think you know I, I have no training in this this is just something I've learned through personal experience it's a tool that has helped me and in the s- simplest of ways therefore I want to push this knowledge out there as much as I can and, and with my personal experience Gently close your eyes. Take some slow, deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. When I finish this next sentence, just try and focus really clearly on your next in-breath. The expanding of your ribcage, the rising of your shoulders. And then focus on the out-breath and how your muscles relax. And yeah, so it's, it's been uh, a, an amazing experience so far. I mean, I've only got sort of four episodes of the, of the podcast up, but it's, um, it's something that I'm going to be continuing for a long, long time, I think, as, as, as I learn um, in, in mindfulness. So I'll be, uh, yeah, disseminating that knowledge. I will say the, the podcast it, itself here now together, and of course, we'll put a link in the show notes. You have such a mellifluous voice. Uh, I don't know your audio <laughs> setup or whatever, but I, I'm like, wow, this is, this is, this is really good. <laughs> I feel very relaxed just uh, 30 seconds into yeah. this. Um, so well, well, there's good on you. so many, 
thanks. There's so many um, guided meditations that I've either subscribed to um, or, or kind of had from from therapists, friends of mine, or uh, and often the recording quality and the delivery is so bad. You know, they won't. You know, for any sort of uh, technical music production geeks out there they won't use a gate on the vocals so you'll get all the, the sort of mouth noises and it's it's so off-putting and certainly not relaxing um so yeah that that was definitely a focus and um yeah it's just it's been something that I, I think hopefully is, is giving people another tool to their toolbox of, of being able to cope with with everything that, that that's going on at the moment um I think it's especially the amount of time that we're all spending alone um can be quite dangerous because we're i mean there's a, a lot of research around this i think the main research was done at harvard where they showed that 47 percent of the time we're lost in thought mm. which is a fascinating thing to consider that you know pretty much half of our lives we're not present with what is actually going on in our minds uh, we're on you know what psychologists call autopilot and we're just ruminating and it's usually in those moments that we we replay anxieties uh you know worries about the future uh worries about the past and it, it, it's then that our mood begins to be affected and and you know all sorts of you know we can add extra stress or, or heightened stress in our lives um so just being able to notice when you've gone down those sort of rabbit holes of thought you know leading you to those places that you don't necessarily need to visit again because we you know we love to ruminate um yeah so that this is just a tool to be able to, to to stop that and to be able to to have have more control more space and be able to witness your thoughts instead of getting caught up in them totally well let me take some specific uh questions uh real quick about the music industry in general cuz I would love to just talk philosophy with you and <laughs> things of that nature. Um, but I don't know that the audience would uh, like that. And um, when it comes to music in general, uh, very broad question. I know you don't speak for the whole industry, um, but uh, how's COVID going to affect you guys, the music industry in general? Um, I'll just start there. Yeah, it's um, it's really hard to to tell. I mean, immediately it's it's obviously taken away a lot of people's income. Um, yeah, and we've seen countries react in in different ways in terms of supporting uh, companies and supporting citizens. Uh, we we've had to apply for uh, the loan that the government is giving out to small businesses to to sort of keep our keep us afloat. Really, seeing as we had to cancel two months of, of album promotion and gigging the whole of the summer festival season as well. What about uh, bands and artists who do this for a living, but they're making a living from it, doing what they love. How, how do you guys make money to support yourselves? Well, I mean, it's going to be nigh on impossible because the bulk of the entertainment industry makes its money from live performances i mean that's what keeps us afloat for us you know we we we're thankful that we have a passionate fan base that cares about merchandise so so we make some money through that but predominantly it's it's the live performances that that keep bands afloat um so that being completely now not possible um it's a really scary time and i'm not really sure what the answer is to be honest i think you've seen a lot of like community so, you know, a lot of artists are supporting each other. And, you know, when people have new releases, we're all um, promoting each other's releases and stuff, which is lovely to see. I really hope it doesn't get to the point where we have to play a socially distanced show because I feel that will just, <laughs> it will take the uh, the whole really commu the communal, passionate, sweaty, uh, tangible experience. It'll just be completely different. So... I'm hoping that we don't have to to do that, um, but it's it's certainly looking rather likely that our November and December tour will have to be cancelled. Um, yeah. So yeah, so well, then we'll be looking at a year of of no shows, which is pretty much a year of no income. So it, yeah, it's going to be tough, and it, it, it's then that we just have to hope that our governments are going to be supporting the entertainment industries because the I mean the creative industries as a whole. You know, a lot of the time, the only way you can 
get uh, politicians' attention, or especially a neoliberal politician's attention, is by talking about the economy. So, you know, the creative industry as a whole is is a massive, massive, you know, asset to the economy, much bigger than, uh, I was reading the stats the other day, than the, I think, like the coal industry or the transport industry or something, when you, you put all the creative industries combined. Um, so I think there has to be support. We're, we're going to have to see more support than, than we are at the moment for, for those industries. Do you think this is going to make more artists and bands connect more closely with their fans through things like Zoom performances or virtual concerts, something of that nature? By the way, I've I attended one of your Twitch mm. thing, which I've never done Twitch before. No, neither had I. <laughs> Probably quite evidently. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that was a really cool experience. It was it was nice. You know, you had some conversation back and forth with the fans. They got a more, you know, intimate look. Uh, I think that's different mm. than the experience we're used to having with uh, some of the people that that we follow and, and who provide us hours of entertainment or provoke thoughts uh, through listening to their music. But do you, do you think that's just going to happen more i mean and probably yes because per force like what else are we going to do yeah well i mean i think certainly at the beginning um everyone was was doing live streams yeah. um i think as well that's why i ended up doing the mindfulness live streams because i thought well everyone's doing performances and yeah i can do a few acoustic solo performances from my house but i'd like to do something different so that's why i started doing the mindfulness stuff um, but yeah, now it's got to that point where it's just inundated, you know, everyone's doing live streams. We've, we've sort of, we've experienced that it was fun. Um, and we'll continue to, to do it, but I certainly don't think you can monetize it. Um, uh, I, I think some bands have been trying and have been experimenting with doing things like that. But the thing is you can go on YouTube and watch thousands of performances of, of my band and any band. So why would you pay just to, just so it's live or, you know, most probably faux live. So I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether that's a, a sort of, you know, something that's going to help keep uh, actual artists afloat. But yeah, as you say, it's cool because it has offered a different sort of perspective on, on uh, performance and, and yeah, but something that's, uh, that's been quite exciting to, to learn from and to experience. When we as fans listen to to music to and think about the you know creative people that we we support, we we really have to think about them as you know real people. They're not just doing this uh, because they have extra time and and it's it's fun. A lot of them, in order to put out music to put out content, they have to devote a lot of time, and that doesn't allow them to have you know quote other jobs. So be generous with, uh, you know, the bands you support out there. For your part, do you have any um, musicians, artists, um, even creatives more generally as a category that you'd like to shout out and tell people to, to go support? Oh, yeah. I mean, so many. I, I probably the, the best thing to do is I, I, I did a playlist on Spotify. Um, when was it now? Good, a good few weeks ago now. But it, it's, it's basically all female artists and bands. Um, ones that I've uh, loved for years, ones that I've just discovered recently. Um, but, but predominantly they're, they're all kind of independent artists. They're all of the smaller sort of, uh, part of the, the, the industry or the, you know, kind of up and coming. So th there's some amazing stuff on that. So I would, I would, yeah, implore people to go and listen to that. I mean, Nova twins, Muna, uh, Kate Tempest, pins, Rena Mashonga. It, it, it's all over the musical spectrum as well. So there's all, everything on there from pop to punk to classical to drum and bass to yeah yeah so on that note uh, your own music's kind of all over the place too i would say i i personally got into you guys when i was going through a i guess metal phase i, I would say <laughs> um, which i never really got out of but um you know that sort of harsh or, or screaming type vocals that are very prominent i would say in your earlier stuff and then you you progress throughout the years and, and it's uh, seen a lot more uh, of the melodic side of of enter shikari um, for your how to put this like your average music consumer where should they start uh, to listen to enter shikari oh wow is that offensive i don't, I don't even know like 
No, 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 of course not. I'm trying to like dance around it. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just know, like I would play uh, in the OR. I, you know, I, part of the reason I became a, a doctor who does surgery is so that I would have control of the music in the operating <laughs> room and I would play music I liked <laughs> and, you know, not everyone appreciated it. So I had to learn to, be, you know, be a little more uh, generous. Yeah, yeah. Others, uh, pick the tracks, <laughs> but. Uh, um, well, I, I think it, well, it's, it's kind of cool that you, you asked because the, the, the last album is basically musically was written from a place of wanting it to be all encompassing. So it's, it's the first album that I actually consciously looked back at our journey and tried to write music that covered the, the spectrum of, of music and of influence that, that we have covered before. Um, so it, it really, it has every corner of, of Shikari that, you know, we, I mean, this is our sixth album. So we've, you know, we've been around the block um, and the, and this, yeah, in, encapsulates all of that, I think. So uh, yeah, definitely the, 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 the latest album would be the one, um, you know, it has everything from, it has a classical piece, it has electronica, it has like our, our most kind of upbeat, positive pop moments, as yes. well as, as, as we've discussed, our most kind of calamitous, uh, intense, scary uh, moments as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real mixed bag. You know, that's, uh, I, I would say that too, um, as a, a fan of Enter Shikari, I think nothing is true and everything is possible is an excellent place to, to start. And it's, it's just a, totally enjoyable to listen to uh, from a musical perspective, from, you know, appreciating those beats, as it were, and, and lyrically as well. So for the benefit of people who are listening to this episode, because they just love Enter Shikari. You make a lot of references to health-related topics um, uh, throughout uh, various songs that you have. And in one, in System, uh, you say, I dressed up as a doctor and cured every disease. Did you ever think about doing something in healthcare? I dressed up as a doctor and cured every disease. Yeah, I mean... I get in, in that song I was making the wider point of like wanting to do like do do a job as a kid that had some benefit to society. Whereas now I think a lot of kids when when you ask them what do you want to be when you grow up, they just go famous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it shows the the sort of real, you know, the horrible route that we that we've gone down. Um but yeah, I mean I I've always been fascinated with, with healthcare. I think it for for various reasons i think the first protest that i ever went on when i with my family when i was about 10 or 11 now maybe even younger that than that i think probably like 8 or 9 um was it was about uh was for our our local hospital was was being closed down and as a sort of you know as a as a small city on the edge of of london on the outskirts of london this was just a real travesty and it was it was the very beginning i i suppose of, of of private healthcare starting to take its root in our in our national health service and 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 kind of austerity measures you know and, and things and of course at that age i didn't understand any of that i i just couldn't ascertain couldn't understand why this hospital which you know in my mind was just a place that makes people better was being closed down. I, I, it made utterly, you know, no sense. Um, and so I think, you know, from then onwards, just being exposed to our hospital and what it does and the the workings of it without, you know, thankfully being admitted to it um, was, was a really interesting experience. Um, and I think like more personally as well throughout my life, like as a person who's sort of struggled every now and then with um, like health anxiety or interoceptive anxiety, I've learned a lot about, you know, various things I thought I had because <laughs> it, it's, it's a great motivator <laughs> is, is health anxiety because you end up learning so much because just to check that you haven't got it. <laughs> they call that medical student syndrome right. when you're, you're studying to become a doctor. It's, it, it afflicts <laughs> yeah. us all. Sure. Yeah. And um, I, I think as well, it just shows a real healthcare shows a sort of a real defining pillar of, of what I see our music for and, and and this goes all the way back to to the, i mean the best way to describe this is through the um anthropologist margaret mead 
Oh, she was answering the question of what's the first, what was the first sign of civilization in, in, in human culture? Um, and she said it was um, a femur, a thigh bone that had been broken and then healed. And, and she explained that she thought, um, she understood that through the rest of the animal kingdom, if you break your leg, you die. You know, no, no one's going to uh, look over you and, and, and help you as you heal. And the broken femur that had healed, that was evidence you know, uh, archaeological evidence or anthropological evidence that someone had taken the time to stay with a person who fell. They'd bound up the wound, they'd carried this person to safety or whatever it was that tended to them that, that helped them through recovery. Um, and so helping someone through an experience like that was, was where civilization started. Um, and so this, this concept of compassion, this concept of empathy it, it is something that's just so embedded in in our music, I think, and uh, along with the, the concept of unity. And yeah, so it's just something that's just, all, healthcare's just always, always fascinated me, I think. What stood out to me is, is in anesthetist, uh, spelled with an A and an E, the British way. And the line there is, uh, <laughs> doctor, fetch the anesthetist. Uh, so when I go under the knife, I believe in this. And then just a great line. Illness is not an indulgence we should pay for. Uh, well, first of all, I just have to say about the funny story of uh, at the time our American label begged me to change anesthetist, the title and the lyric to anesthesiologist, as, as you guys, I believe, call it. Now, I am I'm glad <laughs> so you I was did like, that. hold on a minute. It's not even the same amount of syllables. It would completely mess up the rhythm of the song. <laughs> the meat. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. meters all off. Um, yeah, so uh, I think it was, that's just that whole song is just the frustration of, of again, just the neoliberal sort of mindset of wanting to privatize everything um, and, and make everything for profit. And I think there's there's that we can talk we could talk about the dangers of that in general. But I think there's specific dangers in in, in that for, for healthcare, which we sort of touched on earlier in terms of you know private healthcare is, is more um, directed towards blockbusters and it's not necessarily for the public good. It's more for the, you know, uh, the private gain, <clears throat> so to speak. And, and that, that was just the frustration of that. And I, I think, you know, the National Health Service, which we have in, <clears throat> in the UK, is a just amazing historical act of, of compassion. Um, and we, we see it sort of really starting to erode in the last 10 years with, with our, with our conservative government, um, start to really eat into it and selling it off to, to very badly managed parts of, of, um, the healthcare service. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a song that really is born out of frustration. It touches on a lot of the things I, I talk about, in, including some of the lyrics that you, you brought to light there, uh, a, a, a sort of almost paraphrasing Nye Bevan, who was an incredible politician and, and sort of one of the founders, I suppose, of, of, the, of the National Health Service in, in our country. So it's, um, yeah, it's a real sort of historical, frustrated look at, at um, how um, how healthcare can sometimes be sort of twisted and perverted for, for uh, private gain rather than social gain. I realize I forgot to ask, who is the figure on the new album, Nothing is True and Everything is Possible? But who is that? Who's that bearded, you know, stone dude? <laughs> well, yeah, it's Hippocrates. Um, it's it's a, apparently a likeness that isn't uh, in a, a whole load of places because a, a lot of people have, have been confused as, as to who he was. Um, but he's, yeah, he's there more so to to be a to be a sort of general image of ancient knowledge. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of style of statue just makes us think of ancient Greece. It makes us think of the birth of, you know, Western philosophy, of, of science, of medicine, and everything else that, that we sort of look to history to be uh, in awe of and, and grateful for. And the, yeah, him on, on, on the cover, uh, you know, the rest of the cover is this, this postmodern mess you know, all sorts of colors and fonts and basically things to distract us. So what we're trying to say by this artwork is that we're, we're concentrating on things that we perhaps shouldn't be concentrating on. And we have Hippocrates here uh, as this real fountain of, of knowledge or at least a representation 
of, of ancient knowledge and ancient wisdom of uh, you know the uh, within him we sort of superimpose the socratic notion of humility uh we impose the sort of the empathy and compassion from buddha from jesus from marcus aurelius the the uh, seneca's controlling of anger rousseau on on um kind of our essential goodness you know all these aspects of, of ancient knowledge that we've sort of forgotten and uh, so obviously Hipp hippocrates on the cover has a sort of censor over his mouth because we, we're really just we've just stopped listening to these these kind of things that should be so obviously uh helpful to us but we're, we're too sort of distracted with you know the profit motive or we're too distracted with our own lives or you know it, it, our own lives are difficult enough um so uh yeah you wrote in a, a song, uh, Never Let Go of the Microscope, like Hippocrates. Hippocrates, I can affirm that the method of science is an appliance that emancipates us from dogma and slant and bias. Uh, a very good insight for us to keep in mind now in our present cultural moment is, as well. But man, I have a, a graduate work. I've done graduate work in philosophy, and I thought for sure that was Plato. But Hippocrates, yeah. it's almost embarrassing as a doctor not to know my own uh, uh, <laughs> forefather so well. I mean, I, I wouldn't have known who it was. We, we basically we had a a friend who 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 is um well he, his family's from Athens. Um, he, he, we grew up with him here in London, but he, he was back there, and we sort of sent him on a on a mission to to uh, buy or you know <laughs> acquire a a bust that would represent all all of those things that I listed and we found a few and this one was we thought was just the most at least in terms of its aesthetic like it looked the most kind of prestigious and kind of dignified and the fact as well that it was Hippocrates and and, and with our as as you've exposed our kind of long um fascination with healthcare it just felt like okay yeah this this feels very apt yeah totally awesome I think that's an excellent place to end Rao Reynolds, Enter Shikari. The new album is Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. Stay healthy. Thanks again and um, really totally appreciate it. Absolutely. Likewise. Yeah, man. Links to the songs we mentioned, Rao Reynolds' podcast, Here Now Together, and the playlist he mentions, all in the show notes here, or you can find them on our website, arslanga.media.